If you're a fan of the documentary genre, I highly advocate uh, you watch this mini series. It's a three episode, uh, absolutely gripping. It's on Netflix and it's called Indian Predator: The Butcher of Delhi. Aisha Sood, the director, joins me. Hi, how are you? Great to see you. Good to see you. The documentary in itself, were you following this through popular culture, through the news when it first broke out as a story or did somebody bring it to you? No, actually part of my interest for this story was the fact I hadn't heard of it. Being a resident of Delhi, somebody who actually follows crime a lot, I hadn't heard of it and when we started researching it, there was very little archival or news material that we found on it. It was brought to me by Vice India. Vice India was developing a pool of stories and this was one of them. Wonderful. And obviously, like it happens with most makers, as you started diving into this deeper and deeper, it must have absolutely intrigued you because it does anybody at first watch, it just gobsmacks you. You know, a guy who was able to get away with all these murders and doing it with great nonchalance and coming back to the scene of crime for various reasons, sometimes just to trip on the fact that he's not getting caught. Talk to me about what it did to you mentally, psychologically. <laughs> you know, when you read it off the page, like when you read it as a case file, it sounds unreal. You're a bit like, how is it really like, is this a script? Like, how is this happening? You know, because he kind of has all the uh, markers of uh, conventional, like what you think like in the scripted film would be, you know, like a serial killer. And you delve deeper and you open up all the layers and you realize how much complexity there is, how much trauma there is, not just, I mean, obviously not just him, but like all the victims and all the families and what all everybody had to go through for this. So, I mean, it's a deeply traumatic, also extremely brutal series of crimes and what you have to confront as a reality not just about the crimes but also like the society and the world that we inhabit it was quite tough quite tough and quite something to confront but also I mean remember that I've been making this for two years so it's been a while and in terms of actually meeting Chandrakan Cha, the principal protagonist you know listening to him did that ever happen or was it just the, all the research material and the story that you had to go by no so so the thing is he's in Tihar and you're yeah. not allowed to actually interview people in Tihar jail and it's doubly tough now because of COVID restrictions and things like that. So it's not possible for us to get him on camera. What is your assumption of Chandrakan Just twisted murderer, somebody who's obviously got psychological problems or just somebody who enjoys the process of murder? I think it's a lot of all of it that you mentioned. I think he's definitely a product of the environment that he inhabits. He also has a deep-rooted sense of violence and rage, whether it's the system, whether it's his own feelings, whatever it may be. He also has very misplaced sense of morality, his own sense of ego. I think it's a combination of a lot of these things that have come together to make this kind of particular storm happen. You know, I've, I've noticed that you have spent I mean, it's not really a who done it, who done it from a documentary perspective, because by the time episode one is over, Chandrakant is caught. And then we actually go about deciphering how he went about these things, getting the police officers to talk. Some of them are incredibly eloquent, having them at your disposal to do these sound bites or otherwise. How easy or difficult was that? You know, so there are many actually police officers involved in this case we got access to these two these particular two were very forthcoming very eager to tell their side of the story and actually very candid and open with us we didn't get access to some so how it goes is that if you've actually moved on from the Delhi police it's much easier for them to speak on yeah. camera those who are still serving we couldn't get access to so it's a mixed bag but I would say who we did get access to they were quite open and forthcoming and I also like that you got police informers the mukhbirs 
to talk. I mean, th- that side of it fascinates me and intrigues me because that's a whole force behind the force. Absolutely. For the lack of any other way of describing it, it must be fascinating for you too to chat with them and and put them on camera. Though you know, obviously, for logical reasons, you have to darken them and you can't really make out who they are. Yeah, you know, as you will hear from the cops themselves, the the system is quite strapped. It's quite pushed and it's quite stretched. What do they rely on? They rely on a network of informers, you know, to do a lot of the work. It's how they get leads. It's how they find clues. It's like the underground network that they have to rely on. It's fascinating. It's also scary because the guys that we spoke to were like out of jail for a bit. They'd committed all these murders. They were kind of openly talking about it. So as a citizen, it's quite Right, <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, you're confronting these guys who've obviously done a lot of stuff, and they've decided to turn on on their own kind, as it were, to speak to the police. I mean, it's a tough life. It's a really tough life, and it's tough to be confronted with it as well. It is, and given, I mean, it's very easy to turn around and say, you know, the police is inefficient, ill-equipped, and things like that. But given what they do with such strapped resources in terms of the numbers or the vehicles that we have, there is a point when he actually talks about, you know, making down a checklist of constables and policemen that he wanted in, in the team, you know, requesting for the just basic things like two cars and things like that and despite that the delhi police managed to do the job you know there are enough cases of them the nirbhaya case for example this one for example which they go out and solve and i think another important part of the documentary is what the cops themselves go through when they're on a case you know i think it's really easy to bash the police we just don't know what they're up against you know like i think i read a number like 44000 police personnel for the city of delhi which is 22 million wow so i mean the numbers could be slightly off but yeah. like it's an incredible population it's an incredible footprint area to govern on top of that it's vip heavy so i mean the stuff that they manage to do i mean even like working conditions they sometimes are away from home like 6 7 days at a stretch right they're not working a 12 hour shift or a 24 hour shift they're working like 6 7 days at a stretch some of the thanas don't have proper washrooms and like places to live so they're really up against it you know and for them to pull off a lot of the way that they work and the policing that they do and the demands that they have from the court to prove the case in court it's quite amazing you know and like i've heard i mean also you know like we hear that you know delhi is the crime capital and so much more crime happens but actually so much more crime is reported and caught you know so it's a, you could look at it in different ways i mean maybe other places are not actually like doing a better job of reporting maybe they're not catching true you know i've seen a lot of documentaries in which uh, there is recreation of the crime you've done that too you've recreated some of the actors there's a cop called pelwan who is there is one of the tough guys few of the other cops chandrakant himself you've used actors or regular joes to play those parts but what i do like is that a lot of documentary filmmakers when they're recreating stuff they slightly od or overload on the fiction aspect you know and you you've chosen not to do that has there always been your style because i haven't seen any of your other work as it were so when you are recreating events what is it that you keep in mind you know, especially for a story which is uh, rooted in reality it is really important that the narrative sits above the performance mm. the performance is never meant to overtake the narrative you're not talking about stars and actors here we made a very conscious choice we knew from the beginning that we're going to try and shoot abstractly we're going to s- try and shoot obtusely we're not going to glorify and make somebody a hero out of this there are very few shots where you see the actor up front and central 
so it's definitely a clear choice for this story especially because of the way that this story is told would i do it for other stories i don't know i mean depends on that story but but how do you cast for something like that i mean do you get a casting agent do you look into a pool of like NSD actors for example because it is a different art i mean it's not like a mukesh chhabra casting for a magnum opus is it no so so we got a casting agent in delhi and altaf who plays chandrakant is a theater actor mm. uh, what's amazing about him is he really understands the physical form there's no dialogue he doesn't yeah. speak right so what did we have to go on we had to go on a couple of interviews mm. of chandrakant we had so much written material about him we had so much information from the cops about him of what he was like in person when they met him so it was a few moments like that that we try to like understand and speak with the director uh, with the actor and be like you know how does that work in a room how does it work in your physical body when you're walking it was things like that and i think that altaf really got it you know like he was able to play a sort of like understated quiet rage in a sense which doesn't is not performative it's there you sense it and the recreation of the letters for example that he writes uh, he calls himself cc again that was really true to life uh, is that easy to do do you have access to, i'm i'm sure you have access to the original pictures and somebody helped you with the case files and things like that but i don't know if you're allowed to use them literally so the letters we had like pretty high quality scans of the letters of what they look like and we had an amazing art department that recreated it like to the t and then a graphics and effects department that recreated it for the graphics portion it's actually i mean it's surprisingly similar to the original uh, like from the handwriting to the kind of paper to the tear to the marks on the side and the scanned versions are also like incredible so i mean this was surprisingly part of the case files it came with like the documents that we got like including some of the photographs was that difficult to do for your producer to get the case it files was, out it was a process it was a process but you know uh, relatively i would say easier than other cases because it's a close case yeah. from the delhi police's point of view it's a done case you know i think i'd like to spend some time talking about your technicians i noticed the edit pattern was was pretty relaxed you know there were no rapid rapid intercuts and tom doom and things like that and even your bgm your background music your score was eerie when it needed to be and there was enough breathing space in there so you want to just tell me about your editor your background music person yeah i mean so the editor is anupama chabaskar and she had two associates and i think they did a fantastic job we had to work remotely during the delta wave and pandemic and all this kind of stuff and i think we found an aesthetic and a language within us that like you know like worked the background score was done by salvage audio collective who are fantastic collection they're just a bunch of guys who run a studio yeah. you know and they yeah yeah they beautifully talented uh, musicians and they all came together and they worked on this. What was your brief to them? So we didn't want the music to overpower the scenes. We were very clear that we didn't want it to be like this very orchestral score and at the same time we didn't want it to be something that is just plink plocking in the back and a low volume. You know, we wanted definitely to have an intent and to have there's a reason why it's there like there's a reason for it for every moment and i think that they did it beautifully you know and i i think the other brief that we had was like whatever the score is it should feel like it it belongs to the world that we're looking at it shouldn't be outside of this world you know so it's even if you go as far as having strings they must have a reason to be there 
They must be from this. So they did amazing things like they sampled audio from cycles and very organic sounding elements and then made sounds out of that to create rhythms and patterns. I think like stuff that they've created is kind of like really unique, not just in compositions, but even in the instruments used, you know. And we did sound design with Ayush, Ayush Ahuja, and both, they work very closely together. So they're not separate units, you know, they, and I think you can see that, you can hear that in the series, like there'll be elements that highlight little moments or they sync to certain parts and, but are they musical or are they not? It's seamless. Y- you must be pretty happy with the OTT wave. I mean, it's wonderful for a lover of the genre, for example, to switch on Netflix and see the Last Dance, which is a, a basketball documentary on Michael Jordan, and then see Lena Yadav's uh, Burari murder thing, Your Indian Predator. And I'm sure there are hordes of people who are watching, you know, your phone must be buzzing with people who've just... Otherwise, the normal route for a documentary filmmaker was what? I mean, try and get it to film festivals, isn't it? So talk about how OTT has really given you a steroid shot as a documentary filmmaker. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. You know, like, to be honest, a lot of us wouldn't be here. Think about, like, documentary space even four or five years, maybe five years ago, right? Were there documentaries in the cinemas? They weren't, you know? So if you don't tell stories of a certain craft with a certain cinematic vision, you won't have the audience. Suddenly Netflix comes in and they're telling these documentaries and giving them a platform. They're told beautifully, they're presented beautifully and therefore you have an audience, right? I mean, it's just all happened in the last five to ten years, less than ten years. But are people commissioning enough or you feel they could commission more? I think we're at the, at the beginning you know of it I think I've heard of all sorts of platforms now yeah I was surprised Z5 did uh, Leander Pais and Mayesh Bhupati is the break point yeah 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 and I was like, what platform is this going to be on Z5? I said, big ups, you know, because why should one only think of a platform? It becomes a movement when everybody gets into it. And I think you everybody know, yeah. is everybody is getting yeah. into non-fiction or documentary. Tell me a little bit about your other work. I mean, have you have you tried the mainstream and rejected it? <laughs> or is it an ongoing process? If there's something interesting in the mainstream, you, if in fiction, you would still do it? Yeah, yeah, I know. Mm. So my background is definitely from feature. Uh, that's where I started and mm. trained. I actually did a podcast on the Arushi murder i've done from advertising to socially engaged work to uh, all sorts of stuff documentaries uh, so yeah i mean I, I don't think that i'm like it's i have to do only documentaries i'm quite open to all sorts of things so wow you did a podcast on the arushi murders before talwar the movie was it before it that was, or was i want to say it was 2015 so was it after i think it was after it was after yeah but, i mean but there was no inspiration from that it was no, just a no. case standalone no, it was a thing case that song. i like studied and was sort of like really obsessed with for a long time wow. it's called trial by error that's interesting trial by error yeah, yeah it's out on all of it yeah well i should i should go check it out yeah. that's, that's one and do you give voice to it yourself or no yeah. we had a journalist who voiced it who played like the role of the anchor mm. or whatever you mm. want to call it yeah that's amazing and that would be uh, how many episodes I think it was six 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 six, yeah. six of them and they what I get about 40 45 minutes 30 uh, to 45 30 to 45 yeah, yeah. yeah and in terms of audiovisual documentaries is this your first one or have you done some other stuff no I've done a series called Toughest Men in India that was for Times Internet as a series that then this is the second like but for ODT, like this is the first. What fascinates you about documentary filmmaking? You know why I like documentary filmmaking is because you can't escape the reality. Right? Like, I think sometimes, I mean, if you had to make this into a fiction film, most people would be like, yeah, whatever. You know, like, come on. Mm-hmm. But it's real. The reality of a lot of the stories here is stranger than fiction. And I think that's what is really interesting to me right now about the stories that we have. Yeah, I mean, it's easier to take a Charles Sobrach kind of stylish, larger than life guy and make a, a fiction thing, you know. But you're right. I mean, I don't know if 
Chandrakant Jha would be meat for for fiction. Who knows? I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, it, I'm not saying that it couldn't be made. I'm mm. sure it could be, but like I feel like just to see it as a real story is something that is quite. I mean, it's audacious, right? Like as a story. Yeah, yeah. So come on, give me a checklist of of documents I should watch. I mean, stuff that you enjoyed. Oh, there's so many, but like Innocent Man on Netflix is yeah. really amazing. Uh, John Grisham's only non-fiction mm. book, Evil Genius. Uh, some of the old ones like Errol Morris's Thin Blue Line. Mm-hmm. What else is there? Oh, there's an ama- not true crime, but Three Identical Strangers. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I haven't seen that. No. Um, Jinx, true mm. crime is amazing. Uh, I mean, there's so many. Like so many, I could keep going on. <laughs> It's a new list. And you did say that you're a lover of the genre. You're a lover of true crime. You've done the Arushi uh, murders. You've covered uh, this one. What is your nose up in the air for now? <laughs> not true crime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to break away? You want uh, to do something no, else? No, yeah. it's not. A, it's not a conscious choice. I'm already working on something. I can't really talk about it too much, but it's not true crime. Mm. And documentary filmmakers whose style you've watched and gone, whoa, amazing. I mean, I would say uh, like Errol Morris is definitely one of them. I, I think that he's the he's the OG Bap of this. style or genre whatever it is and he's he's constantly finding new ways of like making the genre i don't know he is bigger richer whatever you want to call it so i would say that he's definitely one of the people that i've really studied and you know are we doing enough at the student level to encourage documentaries i don't know what jamia does or mcrc does or you know sofias here does is there enough documentary stuff being taught at film school you know there is there's actually a lot of school focus and university focus on documentary storytelling but like you mentioned like this is the first time that we have the opportunity to make those stories before that a lot of the people who were trained in or studied or even had love for uh, didn't really have avenues to make oh. the avenues are now and you didn't mention any indian documentary filmmaker in in all the people that you talked Actually, to Actually, really like i really liked uh, lena's burari yeah who uh, i mean i like all the older ones like patwardhan and yeah, kak and you know uh, a lot of them i love that ram ke naam that yeah, he made yeah, it's fantastic incredible yeah. who else i mean i'm sure there are many that are just slipping my mind Great. So there you have it. That's Aisha Sood, the director of Indian Predator, The Butcher of Delhi. A very, very gripping three-episode mini series. I highly advocate you guys go and catch it on Netflix. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Thank you so much.